Amen. Thank you. If you would please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Have you ever been dealing with someone, and no matter what you say, it just doesn't get through to them? Over and over and over again, you teach them the same thing, and it just doesn't click. You ever dealt with that? I'll tell you, one day I had a um, student, we were talking about solutions and solvents and solutes, and he raised his hand, and so I said, yeah, what, what's your question? He said, so since sand is a liquid, and I said, stop. Sand is not a liquid. And he said, yeah, it is. And I said, no, I, I promise you, sand is not a liquid. And he, he got a confused look on his face, and then he goes, but you can stick your hand through it. And I said, that's not what makes a liquid. You can stick your hand through lots of things that are not liquid. You're, it's the individual pieces of sand are solid. And he just could not grasp that sand was not a liquid. I tried explaining this to him tons of different ways. I said, okay, I, I can stick my hand through my shirt sleeve. That doesn't mean my shirt's liquid. And he was like, well, yeah, but, but with sand, it's different. It was this long conversation, but no matter how I explained it to him, he just could not get it through his head that sand is not a liquid. Sometimes it feels like we're having those conversations where it just, it just keeps going and it, we can't make sense of it. We can't make the other person get it. Well, here in this passage, we read a similar situation. <clears throat> if your Bible has the little headings before the passages, you may see that it says, feeding the 4,000. You might be thinking, we've seen something like this before. You have. You have. Uh, just a couple chapters ago in chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000. So he's fed 5,000 people already. Now he's feeding 4,000. It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? I want to pause right there. This is again shortly after Jesus had, has fed more people than this. With what? Five loaves and two fish. Yet they're still not getting it. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them also, or he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were, were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. I'm going to pause right here again. 
Pharisees are asking for a sign from heaven that Jesus is God. What has just happened? I would say a sign from Jesus that he is God. If we look back throughout just the, the little headlines, feeding 4,000, healing a deaf and mute person, um, casting a demon out of a young lady, feeding 5,000, Jesus walking on the sea. There have been plenty of signs. Yet here they still are asking for a sign. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. I want to pause right there. What do you think is about to happen? Jesus has fed 5,000, then fed 4,000, with a total of 12 loaves of bread and a few fish. Total. For almost 10,000 people. Now there's a few people on a boat, and they have one loaf and one Jesus. You think the disciples are going to say, oh, we're fine. We got Jesus. I'm just going to give you a little hint. That's not what they say. The disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, uh, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Let us pray. Almighty Father, though we sit here today and we laugh at how dense the disciples seem, how ignorant they seem of what has happened in their own lifetimes, what they have witnessed Your Son do, Lord, we know that we are no better. That we often see your glory, your goodness, and the very next day forget everything we've just seen. Forget about your mercy and your grace, your provision for us. God, I pray that we would recognize your work in our lives and that we would remember it. Remember your faithfulness, your goodness. God, I pray that we would be committed to following you and loving you pursuing you. God, I pray that we would avoid the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, that, that doubt, that evil heart, Lord. I pray that we would not be convinced that we know enough, that we know enough to be better than others, that we know enough to be better than you, but Lord, that we would know enough to know that we do not know enough. 
God, I pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus is a compassionate provider. He's a compassionate provider. He's been followed around by this multitude for three days now. They've gone without food for three days. And rather than saying, go home, go figure out your own meal, it says that he had compassion for them. Verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. You know, Jesus was fully God. He was fully divine, manifested in the flesh, but he was also fully man. Jesus faced temptations. Jesus faced hunger, pain. When he was on the cross, he felt every bit of that suffering. When he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he felt every bit of hunger that we feel. He felt every pain imaginable. And so he's able to have compassion on this multitude. He knows the suffering they're going through. And let me tell you right now, Jesus knows the suffering that you're going through. He has compassion on us. He has compassion for us because, yes, though he was, he was fully divine, fully God, fully God manifested in the flesh, he still had that 100% man who felt everything and who has compassion on us. Jesus, as a real, full man, is able to put himself in our shoes and have compassion on us. Now here, that, that is shown through the people's hunger, that Jesus has compassion on them in their hunger. But it stretches beyond that. The Bible says that Jesus faced every temptation that is common to man. In other words, every single temptation that you and I face, Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus has been there. The only difference is that where we fail, where we fall, Jesus endured that temptation without sin. Jesus suffered that temptation without giving in. Jesus bore that temptation. And you may say, well then Jesus doesn't really get it because he doesn't, he doesn't know what it's like to stumble. But I'd say that Jesus has a much better understanding of temptation than we do. Because what happens when you give in to that temptation? Does it get stronger or does it ease off? When you give in to it, it eases off. You're not quite as tempted to do it. You may be tempted to continue doing it. But as you resist temptation, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that thought in the back of your head becomes more prevalent and more prevalent. We may go a week without giving in or a month, or a year, Jesus went 33 years without ever giving in to any temptation. Imagine if it gets stronger and stronger. Imagine the temptations that he felt in that day to call down armies of angels rather than taking the cross. Imagine the temptation that he felt to say, you know what? You all deserve death. So I'm just going to give it to you. I'm not going to go to the cross for you. 
Jesus in the garden even said, Father, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, let me take that. But not my will be done. Yours. Your will. See, that, that is the fully man aspect of Jesus. He knew the suffering that was awaiting him. And that temptation to not go to the cross was great. But he still bore that. Rather than giving in to that temptation, he faced it. Jesus has compassion on us because he knows what we go through. He knows the pain that we feel, the temptation that we face. There is not going to ever be any sin in your life, any problem in your life, where you're going to bring it to Jesus and he's going to say, Ugh, Ugh, that, that's gross. Keep that one to yourself. I don't, want to, I don't want to touch that. No. He is compassionate. He knows what you're going through. He's been there. He has suffered greater than we have. Jesus is compassionate. He has compassion on the multitude and he provides for them. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. Jesus cares about people. Jesus cares about you and I. And that person that you can't stand, Jesus cares about them too. Jesus cares about the person that cut you off in traffic. Cares about the person who got that promotion when you should have gotten it. He cares about that person that moved next door and plays their music really loud even when it's 7 a.m. On, on a Saturday morning and you're trying to sleep in. Jesus cares about them. So we should too. Do we have compassion on other people? Are we marked by our compassion and our love for people? Our desire to meet people's needs? Is that a defining characteristic of who we as a church are? Is that a defining characteristic of who you as a believer are? Are you marked by compassion for other people? Is your concern for people's well-being and their, their spiritual life, their spiritual health? Or is your concern for your own pride? The way that you are perceived by other people, is your concern more for yourself or for other people? Jesus has compassion for people. And we see His compassion played out throughout the rest of the passage, especially with the disciples. Following this, we see that uh, the Pharisees seeking a sign. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign with heaven, or a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, "Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation." Now, last week. Um, Following the sermon, Brother Allen asked me about the sigh in uh, the passage we looked at where Jesus uh, 
touched the man's ears. It says that he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And that question caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> but I researched and what it suggested, what, what the implication there is that he sighed because he felt the burden that man was bearing. He had compassion on that man and felt the weight of that man's shoulders. Here, this sigh is different. Jesus has just shown his compassion to all these people. He has shown not only his compassion for them, but then his ability to feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of, of bread and a few fish. Now again, last time when we looked at the 5,000, I, I asked you all a little bit of math. Does that make sense? The answer should be no. I, don't, I mean, a loaf of bread could feed a few people. Seven loaves of bread probably... Maybe at best like 50 people for eating small chunks of it. That's a lot less than 4,000. That does not make sense, yet Jesus was able to feed them because he is God in the flesh. Because Jesus is the Son of God manifested through divine conception. Jesus is God. So he showed them the compassion he has, and then he showed them the power he has. They showed them who he is. Nobody else can do this other than Jesus. And what do the Pharisees do? Give us a sign. Well, if I were there, I would likely not be quite as um, calm as Jesus was. My response would probably be like, are you dumb? Do, do you see what I just did? Look at this. Yet Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, Jesus is not um, making an error in his speech. I mean, he says no sign shall be given to this generation. He's given plenty of signs. You see, but a sign is really only effective for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, is using this phrase, either you do, you, know, you do not have ears to hear and eyes to see, you have ears but do not hear, eyes but do not see, or he's saying, those with ears, let them hear. Something to that effect. Now these people... The Pharisees had ears, they had eyes, and yet they did not hear and they did not see because of the hardness of their hearts. Friends, sight does not equal faith. Sight does not equal faith. Sight can help you if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Sight can help you if you uh, have faith but are struggling with that faith, but sight itself will not give you faith. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has performed miracles in chapter 2, and then at the end of chapter 2, it says that he, he's done all these miracles and a multitude of people, a crowd of people come to him, and they want to make him king. They want him, and he says that, it says that he did not give himself to them. 
because he knew what was in the heart of man. These people had seen the signs and they wanted him to be their healer. They wanted him to be their provider. They wanted him even to be their king, to cast the Romans out of Israel. But they did not want him to be their savior. They wanted all the blessings, all the miracles, but they didn't want the life change that comes with Jesus. They didn't want to be changed by him. They wanted him to just be this, this miracle worker. They had ears to hear what he was saying. They had eyes to see, and yet their hearts were hardened by their own desires, their own selfish desires. And here we see the Pharisees doing the same thing. They see all these signs. The reason they came to Jesus is because they knew that he had been healing people and casting demons out of people, that he had been feeding thousands of people. And yet, rather than saying, you've demonstrated who you are, you are God in the flesh, let us bow down and worship you, instead they say, give us a sign. And so Jesus' response that no sign shall be given to this generation, plenty of signs were given. They just were too hard-hearted to understand. Sight does not equal faith. No amount of signs will lead to faith. Now there are, there are people nowadays that are making millions of dollars, some even billions of dollars, by trying to replicate these signs, these miracles, preaching a gospel of prosperity and health and wealth. If you just believe this, then God will heal all your sicknesses and give you tons of money. That you'll get a better job. You'll get a, a raise at work. And they are making billions off of this. Some of these, these preachers doing this are worth billions of dollars. And it's a lie. It is distorting the gospel. Because no amount of signs, Jesus even says in one of the Gospels that you can raise someone from the dead and yet people will not believe the name of Christ. No amount of signs will change a hardened heart. Only the work of the Holy Spirit will do that. We need to not seek to replicate signs, but seek to preach the Gospel faithfully. Present the Gospel faithfully. Let everything we do be affected by the gospel. Let there be grace and mercy in every act that we do, how we behave towards people, how we speak towards people. And let us be clear on why we are the way that we are. Tell people about the gospel because there is nothing else that will change the heart of a sinner than the gospel. Nothing else. The next thing that we see is the disciples. And we see that their knowledge about Jesus does not equal faith. Now, as the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat, then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Here's that saying, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? 
And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the, the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? They had so much knowledge about Jesus. They knew about his works. These people had witnessed everything he had done. All of his acts, all of his, his miracles, they had been there with him through all of that. They had all this knowledge about him. Yet it didn't click. They knew so much about what he had done. They could go out and preach the gospel and tell people about this great man. But it didn't click for them. It didn't click. Knowledge does not equal faith. If you ever go to a concert, you might end up standing next to someone or sitting next to someone who they seem like a super fan for the band. Right? Like they, you'll sit next to them and they'll tell you all about uh, everything that band has done. You know, they, they changed their basis two years ago. It used to be this person, now it's this person. That other person is in this band now. They, they know everything about the band. Does the band know them? Do they have a personal relationship with that band? They know all these facts, but they don't actually know the people personally. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people know facts about Jesus. They can tell you about the type of stuff you'll see in the Bible. They can tell you about the, st the type of stuff that Jesus does in the Bible, yet have no relationship with God. I've seen many people say, uh, you know, I, I'm an atheist and I've read the Bible cover to cover. Well, that doesn't mean you understood it. I've read a lot of books cover to cover and have no clue what they were about. Heck, I was in, I was in high school, I was in the play Pride and Prejudice. It wasn't until I got married to Kelsey that I understood what Pride and Prejudice was about. I read the script and it just went way over my head. Just having a basic understanding, a knowledge about something, does not mean that you know it. And having a knowledge about Jesus, a knowledge about what he has done, does not mean that you have a relationship with him. Knowledge about Jesus is not what saves us. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, he will not ask us, okay, and how many verses have you memorized? Okay, good. And, uh, and, and, what is your take on substitutionary atonement? What's your take on, you know, A, B, and C? No. The only thing that will save us is Jesus saying, my blood was shed for that person. The only answer that we can give God as to why, why we should be accepted into heaven is your son died in my place. The punishment for my sins was taken on his behalf. The punishment for my sin was on him at the cross. That is the only hope that we have. And trusting in him is the only hope that we have. The disciples were with Jesus. They saw everything he did, but they did not have faith in him to save them, to provide for them, to care for them. And so he warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You're making bread. We put leaven in it. 
unless you're making unleavened bread, in which case you wouldn't put any in it. But the moment you put leaven in it, it changes everything, every part of the bread. Just a little bit of it changes the bread entirely. So he's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They had an expert understanding of the law. They knew every detail about the law. These, these Pharisees spent years and years memorizing the Torah, the first, the first five books of the, the Old Testament. I mean, if you look through Genesis, Exodus, all the, the first five books, you look through those, those are long books. They had them entirely memorized. They knew everything about the law, but couldn't grasp anything about Jesus. Don't be somebody who knows everything about the Bible, knows all the facts about it, can tell about every Bible translation, can tell about the origin of each book of the Bible, can tell about who Mark's Gospel was written to and uh, the book of Romans who wrote it. Don't be a person who knows everything about the Bible but knows nothing about a relationship with Christ. All that Bible knowledge, it's good. You should seek to learn that. But that's not what saves you. Learning about the Bible, learning about God is not what redeems you. The gospel of Christ is. If you don't have that, then everything else is pointless. If you don't have a relationship, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, everything else is nullified. It doesn't matter. Only faith in Christ will save. Only faith in Him. But here we see again the compassion of Jesus. A little bit of uh, tough love here. He says, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you get up? said to him, twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? There's a bit of tough love there. You know, we talk about sometimes the Holy Spirit like nudging us in the right direction, um, you know, nudging us with conviction. I feel like a lot of times I need a drop kick. The Holy Spirit to just come in and, you know, drop kick me into the right direction. Um, here, this was one of those tough love situations where Jesus had to show them the error of their ways. But rather than saying, you know what, you don't get it, I'm, I'm going to go find new disciples. I'm going to go find new disciples. They're going to, you've had your chance, I'm going to move on to the next people. Jesus had compassion on them. See, the Pharisees, it was because of the hardness of their heart. Out of the hardness of their heart, they rejected Jesus. The disciples here, they were just a bit clueless. They were just a little bit like the, the 12 stooges. They just didn't get it. But in the, the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come down upon them. The Holy Spirit opens their ears to hear. It opens their eyes to see. And they go from looking like the, the three stooges to then looking like the A-team. Like they are on fire in, in the book of Acts. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, you may have somebody in your life who you are just, you're trying to reach them with the gospel. You're trying to get to them. You're trying to lay it out for them. And no matter what you say, they just don't get it. It sounds like you're talking to a brick wall. Don't give up. It's not about what you're saying. It's not about uh, how good you're doing. It's not a reflection of that. It is, is the Holy Spirit moving in their life? Is the Holy Spirit opening their eyes to see and their ears to hear? It is a work of the Holy Spirit. We must be faithful to proclaim the Gospel, to reach out to people, to lay it out there for them, but they will not accept it without the Holy Spirit. There is not a thing that we can say to save somebody else. There is not a thing that we can say to take that burden on on us. We can't redeem somebody, but we can tell them about who can. And at that point, it is between them and the Lord. So stay strong. Continue proclaiming the gospel. Continue preaching the message of salvation. Continue proclaiming that it is only through Christ and His blood shed on the cross that we have any hope. Continue. And for us personally, let us all pray that our eyes would see, that our ears would hear, and that our hearts would be open to receiving God's Word. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, I thank You that you, you did not leave me when I was clueless. You have not abandoned me because I did not understand the lessons You have taught me over and over again. God, I pray that we would not, uh, we would not fall into this trap of seeing Your goodness repeatedly and yet not understanding. But Lord, I know that at some point we will, and I pray that when that does happen, we might have faith in You. That You would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to understand Your goodness. In Jesus' name, Amen.